Hi guys, and welcome back to the IBS Freedom Podcast. I am hosted, hosted? No, I'm joined by my co-host, <laughs> Amy Allenkamp, registered dietitian extraordinaire to the world. Hey everybody, I'm hosted by Nikki. Yes, I, you're hosted by me, clearly. And right. today we're talking about leaky gut syndrome, O-M to the G. Amy? Per my usual, I do the intro, you start us off. So say a few words, if you would, about leaky gut. Oh, man. Leaky gut's such an interesting topic to chew on just because there's so many misconceptions about what it is and what it is not. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've talked about it before. I don't know if they've been on air just in our our secret time prior to, to actually going live or after going live, but... I think with leaky gut, a really important aspect to understand is that like leaky gut or intestinal permeability, as it's referred Mm -hmm. to in a lot of the scientific literature, everyone has some level of permeability. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, again, it's, it's always interesting to come at it from that angle. I think just to start, like it's not necessarily always a bad thing. Um, Mm -hmm. We have... Uh, at different points of the day, you might be having more permeable, a more leaky gut or permeable gut, and at other points in the day, that there's less leakiness. Um, in terms of illness and causing issues and symptoms, uh, a lot of the things that commonly get attributed to permeability uh, are things like bloating, gut symptoms. Um, but a lot of the symptoms or a lot of the things that are actually a result of leaky gut don't necessarily always get contributed to it, like inflammation, joint pain, headaches, Mm -hmm. um, cognitive issues, uh, depression, anxiety, those sorts of things, um, that aren't necessarily gut related tend to be more, uh, associated with leaky gut, um, a lot of metabolic issues tend to be a lot more associated with leaky gut than gut issues themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that people with gut issues don't have leaky gut because they very much can, but it's usually more uh, associated with the severity of the IBS or IBD than anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we should talk about like what exactly it is too. I just kind of jumped into like, oh, there's so Good many, point. there's so many potential like misconceptions around yeah. what is leaky gut and what isn't. Uh, yeah. If you want to just kind of talk a little bit about like what it is in a little bit more detail. Yeah. And I'm going to resist the urge to use any visuals for the people who are listening for audio only, usually I would like have some sort of visual aid, but basically the gut lining itself. So that layer of one cell deep tissue that separates your microbes, your microbiome and the inside of your gut from the rest of your freaking body, that layer, that single cell layer of tissue, the gut lining can either be more porous or more leaky, like leaky, like a sieve, or it could be relatively tight and taut and toned and not letting a lot of stuff through. Ideally, you want your gut and your body to choose what gets through. So it can kind of like, in a way, it could say, oh, bacterial toxin, no thank you. Right. You go back over there. Vitamin B12, come on in. 
protein, come on in, carbohydrates, come on in. And it can traffic that and select and use receptors and traffic that to some extent. But with leaky gut, you have either big gaping holes in between the cells or entire cells could get obliterated. And if you're not rebuilding the gut lining and those cells at a fast enough pace, you're left with a poor quality lining. So now instead of having like, you know, just use another metaphor, instead of having a barrier that's something akin to leather, now you have something that's working to cheesecloth, separating you and your microbes. So it can be pretty detrimental because you lose that ability to decide what comes in and what does not. And it ends up meaning that ironically, a lot of your nutrients have a harder time getting into your body and you get more like malabsorption type patterns and all the bad stuff, the bacterial and the candida toxins end up getting through more readily than you would want. So it's, it's a big old cluster F. Yeah. Um, But that's what I would say. Yeah. I like how you worded that because uh, you want to, you want your gut to be permeable to some things. You want your gut to be permeable to nutrients. Um, I think, again, where the problem lies is that endotoxemia, when there is toxins uh, coming into the bloodstream, uh, interacting with your immune system, creating a lot of inflammation, that's where the problem really lies. Um, But yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something that I think because we work with the more severe end usually of IBS and SIBO, we see. Um, There's definitely been cases where I don't think leaky gut has been at play that Mm -hmm. I've worked with. So not every severe IBS um, SIBO case, I think, has leaky gut going on. Um, But it's always interesting to me, like the people that do have pretty strong joint pain, that's something I see a lot in when there's leaky gut involved. I think a lot of histamine type reactions I see more so when there's leaky gut. Um, I think when there's kind of more systemic type symptoms, uh, uh, more systemic type symptom profile than um, just kind of bloating uh, or reflux or kind of some of these other symptoms that get attributed to permeability and leaky gut. Yeah, I would say the same. I think that You know, there definitely is research that um, a lot of people with irritable bowel syndrome have leaky gut. Yeah. And a lot of people with celiac disease and Crohn's and colitis. Um, So it's not to say that those folk don't have it. But what is more closely linked and the severity is more closely linked is metabolic syndrome. Yeah. And widespread systemic inflammatory type events. So like if you have abdominal adiposity, if you have hypertension, diabetes, you know, if you have something like that, or if you have a lot of joint pain or a lot of brain fog, um, I would agree. I think the histamine intolerant crowd oftentimes has leaky gut as well. I just got a test back on somebody with mast cell activation and it was off the charts. Oh my gosh, so yeah. I do think that that's the case. The one, like, correct me if you see a different pattern, but on the internet, whether it be, you know, YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or what have you, what I'm seeing most chit chat about, like, and maybe it's the bias of the groups I hang out in, but everybody's talking about the link with leaky gut and autoimmunity rather than the link with, again, the diabetes, the hypertension, joint pain, like that kind of stuff gets a little bit left out, even though it's much more supported in research. 
and the autoimmunity thing, like pretty much everybody with autoimmunity believes that they have leaky gut. And I don't know if that's intrinsically true. You could have leaky gut at the time of your autoimmune diagnosis or at at its onset and that it could have resolved between now and when the condition first arose, for example. Um, But, you know, hypertension, obesity, diabetes, like that kind of stuff, it it does tend to persist, so it seems. So if you have any of those conditions, then I would definitely consider treating for leaky gut. If you're autoimmune, I would give it a solid maybe. I wouldn't say ignore it altogether and don't worry about leaky gut, but it might be more worthwhile getting tested for it to see if you can prove or disprove that hypothesis for you as an individual. Yeah, it's such an interesting point too. And I always think it's interesting because it's like, okay, with people that have autoimmunity and potentially leaky gut, what are the really popular protocols? And the one that comes Mm -hmm. to my mind is like AIP to heal your your gut. Or maybe gaps. or Yeah, or maybe gaps. Um, But specifically for the autoimmune crowd, I feel like they're like, oh, I have to go on AIP. Like that's going to like solve my inflammation, like solve my, my leaky gut problem. Um, and I think that could potentially make leakiness worse because you're limiting the diet, which is going to affect diversity of the microbiome, which I think is like such a key, probably almost the component that's controlling the, the gut lining. One of the most primary components, if your microbiome isn't healthy and diverse, it's going to lead to problems, uh, from a a leakiness permeability standpoint. Um, Absolutely. So it's it's definitely interesting to me that, that that the autoimmune crowd, that's the solution. When, let's say, leaky gut was at play in the autoimmune uh, equation, is really AIP the right answer for, for leaky gut? I think both of us would probably lean towards, well, maybe, but like there's, I'd try a maybe. lot of other things first. Yeah, and I think just, you know, I see a lot of my autoimmune patients who genuinely do have an issue with gluten. Yeah. And I see a fair whack of people with autoimmune conditions who have a genuine, honest-to-God issue with dairy proteins. So it's like, okay, go gluten and dairy-free. Try that out for at least a couple of weeks while you're working on your gut diversity. Try to increase vegetable and fruit intake. You know, if you have SIBO or dysbiosis, try to manage that to the best of your ability. And then if you're not feeling better yet, then you could think to restrict a bit harder and, you know, cut out soy, cut out corn, cut out the next couple of culprits. But I do find that AIP is oftentimes not necessary and sometimes it can leave you in a worse off position. Like I could think of a Hashimoto's patient that, I mean, there was like a whole story that went with her yeah, and the poor quality care that she had received prior to working with me. But one of the things was that she went from eating like a healthy but normal person diet to eating paleo, then AIP. Then I think she might have tried like a little bit of lower FODMAP AIP hybrid. And she was restricting her diet a lot, but her autoantibodies were going up and up and up. It's like, well, yeah. Now, part of that too was that her quote unquote integrative MD that she worked with tried to treat her dysbiosis with not one, not two, but three rounds of prescription antibiotics. Oh, no. (laughs) So, of course, her dysbiosis got worse. Her diversity got worse. 
And she had a hell of an overgrowth of proteobacteria and like all sorts of dysbiosis. But like, I think a piece of it was that she was also restricting her diet a lot. And she was hardly getting any fruit and vegetable intake because she was afraid to eat everything. So as we peeled back the layers of that and understood that more completely, now she's to a point where she eats basically plant-based most of the time yeah, and eats pretty much all of the things she didn't eat on AIP and she's doing great. And her autoimmune antibodies are almost back to normal. Actually, she's due for blood work. I should text her later. Yeah, But it it's quite a different picture when, yeah, a lot of people on the internets seem to think that AIP or GAPS are like the answer to curing autoimmunity. And it's, it's a bandaid at best. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think again, the same thing could be said with, some of the SIBO IBS diets too, since we're on the, yeah. the topic. Um, and it's important to note that like Western style, low, fi- low fiber, kind of higher fat diets that are kind of seen in the studies also tend to be more associated with leaky gut. Um, mm. And I think with these low FODMAP diets and they're kind of pulling out, and I'm not saying low FODMAP's bad. I, I know we've discussed it in the past. It's not it's usually my- It's a for a short period of time. Right. It's a short-term tool if you want something to kind of reduce inflammation for a couple weeks and then trying a new strategies or trying to add some FODMAPs back in makes sense. But yeah. these long-term low FODMAP diets that are lifestyle changes and not therapeutic style diets when it when it becomes a lifestyle change and the fiber is a lot less in the diet i mean you're kind of setting yourself up to for for more leakiness as well um it's definitely something i know we've both seen with our clients it's kind of like you were talking about your your hashimoto's client like the more she was restricting 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 the more it seemed to increase the inflammation um and potentially be aggravating uh, leaky gut and kind of making the uh, degrading the barrier even more um yeah so yeah i just think it's really important to note that you know one of the key aspects to maintaining a, a healthy microbiome is feeding uh, a variety of different microbes and so the yep. more you're on some sort of low fodmap diet long term the harder it is to maintain that barrier yeah And I would say, like, you cannot have a good, healthy gut barrier without good, healthy, diverse microbes. Yeah, 100%. You could take all the glutamine on planet Earth and you'll, you know, you'll patch it back up for like a day and then it'll go right back to where it was because the microbes are telling the, the gut barrier, hey, you need to be good and strong and happy and healthy and you need to keep us out because we're bacteria and we could be bad guys. Like, without that signaling, the gut barrier, you know, if nothing else, you could think of it as being lazy. Like, oh, I don't need to protect myself from bacteria because there's not a lot of bacteria. Cool. I'm just going to slack off and not do my job. Right. Um, Right. So you really need that stimulation. Right. For sure. For sure. It's, it's again, (laughs) such a shame that it's so popular. It drives me bonkers that like kind of the solution is restriction versus kind of adding diversity and there's not it's i see that it's very rarely like when someone presents with digestive symptoms we get kind of the major downstream cases 
Um, They've been in the SIBO or IBS space for a long time. They're continuing to have symptoms. They've tried all the things. Yeah, nothing's working. But I, I always ask myself, and I think it'd be so nice if I was in a position to take on a client, like when they're like, oh yeah, like I'm just starting to have some GI issues and I'm like the yeah. first point of contact. Oh my God. Can you um, imagine? I know. It'd be so nice. And there are like few patients and clients that I have that are like that, but it's it's few and far in between. Yeah. Um, but because at that point, it'd be so interesting to experiment with okay, let's try diversifying the diet kind of out the gate and see how how you do. We might try some strategies to help with, with permeability and to um, yeah. help help the gut environment uh, become mm-hmm. a much better place and to help support the gut barrier. But I, I always think that that's like an interesting thing. I'm like, if I could just find some people like that haven't gone down the rabbit hole too far um to see what that would be like as an more of an initial intervention versus the initial interventions that are more low fodmap focused and more restrictive focused we need to camp out at our local gi doctor's <laughs> office we'll just like hover outside of the waiting room and yeah. give out flyers and be like hey you've had i you know you've had bloating for a month here take my card yeah we <laughs> should make it like real real subtle i'll wear my poop emoji and just pop out yeah like absolutely which i I think the poop emoji really will bring people to me yeah i mean it'll it'll definitely make you look more credible right it'll attract it'll attract people and we'll kind of pull them aside and say rip the low fodmap handout from their hands that they just got from the gi doc and say instead of restricting food let's add some some variety into your diet i'm almost picturing like a um (laughs) Like a matrix situation, like, okay, you can have the red pill or the blue pill. Yes. You can cut out these FODMAPs forever and have a lifetime of endoscopies and colonoscopies. <laughs> or you can come with us. Oh, we gosh. We have onions over here. Oh, my gosh. Um, onions and garlic. Learn about leaky gut and candida and whatever else we're going to talk to you about. Right, right. I feel like I would wear a cloak, personally. Okay. Like, you could have the poop emoji but i kind of want to be like more mysterious and be like the poop witch okay so maybe here's how it's gonna go like there's gonna be an alley adjacent to the gi doctor's office we have to find a doctor's office with an alley i'm gonna pop out yeah for sure those back alleys by those gi docs i'm gonna pop out of the back alley really draw the attention I don't know, maybe a dance, work. maybe a dance or something. And I'll lure yes. people back to you and you'll be there with the cloak. And I can have a cauldron yes. of bone broth. <laughs> mixed with gar- mixed with onion, garlic, <laughs> all garlic. the... <laughs> Come, my pretties. Yes, Come. yes. Yes. Okay, so we have... Um, so that's the end of the podcast, guys. <laughs> we're going to go work on our new business venture. So we're going to peace out and uh, see you never. No, I'm kidding. We should probably finish up the podcast episode, but that was really fun to fantasize about how ridiculous this would be. Um, mm. What in the world were we talking about? Well, oh my goodness. We were talking about <laughs> how you can't have a, a strong gut barrier yes. without a diverse microbiome. Without the bacteria. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. And I do think um, I'll take this moment to steer us slightly off topic. Yeah. And can I just like rant about my profession for the 18th time in Do our it. short podcast life? This is, we're not that far into podcasting, but I feel like every episode I need to razz on them a little bit. Yeah. 
part of the problem, I feel like, and why people get on these damn restrictive diets and why we have the current culture around leaky gut that we do, I blame functional medicine to some extent because for a while, I don't know if it's as prominent anymore. I kind of checked out, honestly, from my own profession, so I don't know. But for the longest time, when I was first learning functional medicine and going to seminars, you know, like 2010, I remember explicitly people at the IFM or people at Apex saying that leaky gut was a root cause. Yeah. And all of us in the audience were like, totally. Right, yeah, like right. root cause. Root cause medicine is great. And we would all like gay raw shish at the IFM conventions or whatever it was. And that led me down the rabbit hole, personally, of quote unquote, healing my leaky gut mm -hmm. with glutamine and repairvite and whatever for two freaking years before yeah. I actually got to the root cause. Oh. It's like, it's like you have to trace it back a little bit further. Like, okay, leaky gut is kind of a root cause. It's like a, it's, it's like the biggest of the roots, right? When yeah. the tree first kind of splits, like, all right, that's the first root, but then you have to dive deeper and ask, why did you get leaky gut? Right. Right. It, it doesn't happen to everybody all the time. It's not like your body just randomly on a Wednesday decided, you know, this would be real fun if my gut was a train wreck. Like, <laughs> that doesn't happen. So, you know, was it stress? Was it antibiotics? Was it, you know, what was it that actually caused your damn leaky gut? Because if you just treat leaky gut like I did, I can assure you 1000% because I've done this. If you keep taking the glutamine restricting your diet and focusing all your attention on the leaky gut and you never move beyond that, your leaky gut will never go away. Right. I would I would spend so much money on Repairvite and I would I would take the Repairvite and then after, you know, a couple of weeks or a month or two, I would be like, "Okay. Well, surely now my gut is healed." And I would go off of the juice and yeah. all of my symptoms would flare back up again. And like they weren't great when I was on the leaky gut stuff, but they were better, but it would get worse every time I came off. And I just, I was like, man, I've got the worst leaky gut ever. It keeps coming back. And like, I'm, I don't know, I'm not a dumb person, but when you're told repeatedly by quote unquote experts that leaky gut is the root cause, you just kind of go with it. And it wasn't until quite a bit later that I realized, oh, but wait, <laughs> I must have dysbiosis or SIBO or candida yeah. or something else that's driving this. And then I actually got a chance to heal my gut. And now I haven't had to take Repairvite, thank God, in a number of years. So, you know, it, it it's a root cause kind of, yeah. but you have to find the root cause of the root cause. Like it's definitely not a terminal uh, endpoint in your journey. You don't get to leaky gut and go, okay, mystery solved odd with my life like you need to you need to hunt a little bit more right so I, just you know and i feel like it's it's in a similar way kind of like SIBO like you get a SIBO mm -hmm. diagnosis and that's often viewed as a root cause but there's yeah underlying layers of what's driving your SIBO it's the it's the Why'd same you get SIBO right it's the same thing with leaky gut and i think what you're the what you're saying is that the environment matters and your stress levels uh, what you're putting, your diet, your lifestyle, other lifestyle factors are going to play mm -hmm. a huge role in whether your uh, your gut's more permeable. Um, and, and I think that it's really important because I know you're mentioning supplements, which I think can mm -hmm. be really helpful. Um, it's not they that they're, they're not helpful at with um, 
gut permeability. But I also think that, again, I think in the past there was like a level of reliance, like in your particular case, like, oh, I'm taking Repairvite or I'm taking um, Glutamine, I'm taking all these things, like they're just going to like heal my gut. But you have to pull on all the levers that could be driving um, gut permeability and have to really work on lifestyle factors, stress. Um, If you're on NSAIDs, stop taking NSAIDs daily for pain. Um, Yeah. So again, there's there's a lot of factors that affect permeability. Uh, And maybe again, we can kind of dive in a little bit deeper to, I know we mentioned stress, diet, um, and says, what else yeah. can we can we dive into? Antibiotics. Oh is yeah, a pretty for big sure. Biggie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so like antibiotics and killing your good bacteria. Yeah, alters the microbial environment, and then the microbes are going to alter the gut lining. So, for me, like looking back and using myself as an example, I think that a young adulthood and childhood of many antibiotics was probably a driving force for a while. I think I probably had some degree of leaky gut and dysbiosis for a long, long time, slash my whole life. Yeah. And that was already in place, but then I got a concussion and I drank creek water. If you and haven't I listened, really... if they haven't listened to the story, they should. Oh God, go back to the first episode. It's it's a doozy. But yeah, I drank <laughs> creek water. It was a mistake. Mistake. <laughs> Don't do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think acquiring probably many parasites in that moment and then whacking my head less than a day later. Uh, I think that those were my big driving factors and I think it just hadn't resolved yet at that point. Um, And I was trying to quote unquote heal my leaky gut several years later and taking all the glutamine on planet earth. Now I can't go back and undo a concussion, right? But like I can try to take care of my brain. So you can try to do smart things like that. And then for the parasites, and the candida and the bacterial dysbiosis slash maybe SIBO. I don't know. I never tested like that. I treated with antimicrobial herbs and like, and then I did the glutamine and all that crap. And then it went a whole lot better. But um, yeah, I think for me, those are my biggest root causes. I think yeah. Um, hormones too. If your hormones are all swirly, that could yeah. cause leaky gut because you need thyroid hormone to heal your gut. And if you're a woman, you do need some amount of estrogen and progesterone to heal your leaky gut. And if you're a dude, you sure as heck need testosterone to heal your gut. So any sort of deficiency in those could also, they're probably not going to be the thing that initially drives the leaky gut, but they're going to keep you stuck. So like I just had a conversation with a patient yesterday. We measured his testosterone and for his age, it was a little on like the lower end of normal. I was like, that's probably not ideal. But I told him, we're not going to do anything to address it specifically yet because I don't want you to get pill fatigue on me. And you're already doing so much. But like, we're going to observe it because if it stays there, we might want to get you on some DHEA or try to work on that a little bit more directly. Uh, Versus I have had like another male patient that I'm thinking of, his testosterone was flagged blatantly low by LabCorp. When LabCorp cares that your testosterone is too low, you're like real bad off. Yeah. (laughs) That's just, that's rough. Right. So LabCorp actually was griping about it. So that we said, oh, okay, that's a real big deal. So I had him on herbs and I had him on DHEA. And then we did get that to rebound quite nicely and it correlated with his gut progress. So just as a word, 
I don't always jump to hormones immediately with people, but I do check thyroid hormone on pretty much everybody. And I check testosterone on all of my dudes when they start yeah. working with me. Um, I could take or leave a female hormone panel if the cycle is regular and it's not making them totally miserable. But those two I have found to be pretty useful because a deficiency in any of those hormones is going to uh, alter the turnover of the cells of the gut. So that's another one. Yeah, no, that's a a, a great point. I think with some of the horm- the female and male reproductive type hormones, and we could probably talk about this uh, in another day uh, as yeah. well, but they tend to be a little bit more down. Like they're reactive to things like stressors too. Um, I think a lot of times oh, yeah. if you think about just evolutionarily with women, our our bodies are trying to protect us from having babies in times of stress. So a lot mm-hmm. of like change happens if you're under stress. So I, yeah. I'm with you. I think unless something's like way off, I'm probably going to hold off on doing anything major yeah. Um from from a hormonal standpoint. Um I think to add a, a few others uh things to think about. Um I, I think circadian rhythms can be interesting and just timing mm. of meals uh, yeah. as well. I know we've talked about that a little bit um in past episodes. Um it allows your gut to prepare for food coming in and allows for the gut to to put up some defenses to let things through, but also keep things out. Mm. Um, And there's kind of a natural uh, diurnal pattern when it comes to small intestinal permeability. Um, Mm. So I do think circadian rhythms, if they're disruptive or you're eating at weird times, um, you're not getting sleep, you're kind of not getting some sun, like some rhythm, Rhythm. Ah, I'm trying to say rhythmicity. Rhythmical. Rhythmical. <laughs> Maybe. Wow. The tongue. rhythm, guys. The rhythm. The rhythm. If there's the rhythm is off and you don't have those strong circadian rhythms, I do think that they can also impact permeability in some capacity. And just having yeah. some time to fast, I think, is also very helpful for mm-hmm. for building up the the barrier, um, mm-hmm. as well. Um. So yeah, I wanted to throw that into things. I also think one other factor um, that I've seen, it's not super common in my clients, but like alcohol something to mm. bring up too. Yeah. Um, again, it's not usually something super common with my clients, but I do think if if someone's drinking, you know, even it's like a glass of wine, usually what I'm seeing is like, okay, I've like been drinking a glass of wine with most dinners for a while like again Mm -hmm. that might be something to to reduce um if you're having any sort of permeability issue um yeah so yeah those would be the two other ones that i think i i'd add yeah Yeah, and i think um let's see what others there's honestly there's probably a slew of medications that cause leaky gut right the biggies that come to mind are definitely antibiotics NSAIDs so, you know, mm-hmm. like ibuprofen, et cetera, yeah. um, and corticosteroids. And sometimes, ironically, autoimmune folk wind up taking prednisone, and it can be kind of a sticky place to be where, like, you can feel really stuck on it. Like, I, I've been thinking of a patient who had ITP and autoimmunity against her platelets, 
And it took a while for us to get her off of that prednisone. She had been on it for a couple of years. And just knowing that, all right, if you have autoimmunity, you probably had leaky gut, at least in the beginning of that process. Yeah. And now you've been on prednisone for two years and you can't get off. And that's going to make sure that you still have a leaky gut. So part of the conversation in that case was, all right, we need to communicate with your primary care and we need to carefully whittle you down on your dose while we're doing the anti-inflammatories, while we're doing the gut work, while we're doing the whatever else. And it, it was quite the process, but steroids also will cause leaky gut pretty consistently as well. Yeah, um, no, such a good point. And this is on the heels of our you know, New Year's detox episode. But another thing is a lot of environmental chemicals and toxins probably have the ability to induce leaky gut to mm-hmm. some extent. Yeah. And it's funny, like this was not coordinated at all, but I have a paper on my desk that I keep meaning to read because I'm working on my mucus series for YouTube still. Actually, by the time this posts, it'll probably be up so you can go watch it. But um, I'm working on part three of a four-part mucus series and it's titled Mucus, an Underestimated Gut Target for Environmental Pollutants and Food Additives. Mm. Mm. So this article is talking about how a lot of these environmental pollutants and um, food additives degrade the mucus barrier which then is going to let the microbes get all close and snuggly with the gut barrier and then that's going to make it more likely that you have leaky gut but i remember too when i was filming a different youtube video there was some research i came across for like um i think bisphenols so like bpa for example has they've been shown at least in an animal model i don't remember if there's human data to cause some leaky gut um i think either parabens or phthalates, I forget which, and then certainly some metals can cause leaky gut. So that's another possibility too. If you happen to be in a place where you're exposed, like, um, you know, certain bodies of water, if you're eating fish out of certain bodies of water and you're getting a lot of mercury or, you know, over consuming canned tuna fish or something, or if you live in Arizona or, you know, the Southwest and you're getting arsenic exposure and you're not filtering your water, um, anything that's an environmental pollutant or chemical or toxicant probably has the ability to erode your gut barrier as well. And then the best route for that is to try to avoid those things or filter your water and filter your air and eliminate those toxins potentially. Yeah, such a good point. Um, I did want to mention too, I, I can't remember when this study was published, but it's something that really resonated with me and really highlights, I mean, we always talk about stress, so I feel like I'm beating a dead horse a little bit, but there was a study, and it was a mouse study, so it wasn't necessarily a human study, but still very interesting, where they, like, put put mice on a, or put a mouse on, like, a little platform surrounded by water, which, like, Mm -hmm. the the mouse is like, oh, God, like, I don't want to be swimming, you know, very stressed out. What are these horrible humans going to do to me now? Right, right. The the mouse was not wanting to to swim, doesn't like swimming, hates water. So it it really stressed this this little mouse out. They noticed that it, it causes more permeability. And it took two days of doing, like, nothing to resolve that stressor. Mm. I just Mm. think it's a really interesting study because, I mean... I feel like we're so bombarded with stress uh, that like knowing that it sometimes takes a lot of rest to potentially build back that gut barrier and making Mm -hmm. sure you're carving out time for deep rest. 
um, to help that process. Yeah. If you are feeling overwhelmed, I think it's a really important factor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Actually, would you send me that study if you do find it? Yeah, I'll I'd to, be curious. I'll have to find it. I, yeah, uh, I wonder, between the two of us, I wonder if we could find it. Because that, you know, it, it's not new news to us. By right, stretch, it's not but new news. But I think that it does kind of paint a picture. Yeah. Um, and I do, I think that that's really relevant. You know, honestly, when I first started practicing, I was less willing to have tough conversations with people. Yeah. Because... I mean, they're tough. And, like, I'm a people pleaser. I want everybody to like me. So I didn't want to be, like, you know, the the creep who told you, like, your job is killing you. You need a new job. Right. But now I'm slowly getting more comfortable. You know, if you work with me in 20 years, I'll tell it right to your face. But right now I'm still in the process of, like, getting better about this whole honesty thing. And, um, you know, I a patient that I saw, it was either yesterday or Friday, um, I was really proud of him because one of the things we talked about was he had not had time off in like forever yeah. and his gut is a train wreck and we talked about it and I was like, well, uh, and he said he wanted to take time off for Christmas, but he felt bad because like everybody, basically everybody else wants to take off extra time at Christmas. So not everybody could do that. So like he kind of felt obligated to work the week between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Okay, I appreciate you're a team player. Um, how about this? I said, but he said, I have paid time off. Like, I could do it, technically. So I said, okay, what if you take off the week of Thanksgiving and the whole week after Thanksgiving? Nobody's going to do that. Yeah. And then you could get that defrag time. And he was like, actually, that's a really good idea. And he did. I was so proud of him that he took not only the week of Thanksgiving, but then he took an extra week off to just, like, defragment and be with his family and... And I think that that was a really good step for him to make. Uh, if I do say so myself, I recommended it. But, you know, it's really hard to do that. And it's hard to put your own oxygen mask on first. But that's really what you need to do. And I'm learning that myself. Like, I'm trying to rearrange things in my life and just finagle things in my business to a point where I don't feel so overwhelmed anymore. And it's hard, like, especially, again, if you're a people pleaser and you think that you need to be everything to everybody. It could take a minute, but kind of running with the metaphor of like the mouse that needed two days off to just rest and do nothing and watch Netflix and chill. Right. Like, you know, pencil that in. You're worth it. And yeah. I say that as somebody who's still learning that lesson myself, but I, I'm coming around. I think I'm seeing the value in that now. I, I agree 100%. And I, I think when you do have those tough conversations, I want you to pull out the cloak from when we do yes. our, our back alleyway yeah, cornering sessions cloak. yeah <laughs> but That's, i okay mark my words 2021 <laughs> my christmas or no my uh christmas my halloween costume is going to be i'm going to be the poop witch oh goodness! i don't know good exactly Lord. what that'll entail but there will be a cauldron of bone broth with and onions and I'll, garlic yeah maybe i'll have it like simmering on a burner here in my office and then all of my patients that come in that day get like a cup of broth or something oh that'd be so cool you have to do cool. it definite perks to seeing people in person god willing i could do that more in 2021 than i currently am yeah um, well yes the poop witch shall ride uh, in 2021 that's amazing i can't wait for that i i think that in i know i've talked about this in the past too i'm definitely someone that struggles with slowing down as well i mean i think there's just so there's so much talk i think coming from the sports 
place too of mm-hmm. like you have to give 110 percent. like what does that even mean like i only have 100 percent to give it's not possible right it's impossible yeah. you're setting me up to fail um but i think i've seen a, it a lot with moms especially who are really burnt out mm-hmm. and in with covid too if they're working from home or like had to quit their job to take care yeah. of of kids um I think it's just harder sometimes there it's harder to draw boundaries if that's not something that you've Mm -hmm. kind of had to do before I I mean I I was recently talking to a mom who had been going to bed pretty late and so I'm like well Mm -hmm. what happens like when you're trying to to go to bed and she's like oh like my kids asked me to do stuff and I'm pulled in a million directions and I'm like okay I can understand that I said why can't we like you know maybe like tell your family like this is a boundary that I'm like you can come to me with all your issues before this time yeah but I need like to decompress and go to bed at this particular time yeah and again there might be days when that's can't happen again it's progress not perfection is always my my saying exactly but I do think it's about kind of getting your family involved too I think can be helpful because a lot of times I, I think that in certain clients that I work with, there is a, uh, uh, I think it's just something they don't typically think of. I don't think they're against it, but just letting their family like know, hey, I'm setting this boundary of like getting some rest and making sure I'm taking care of, of myself. And pretty much everyone's family is going to be like, oh, great job, mom. Like, you know, they might be annoyed if they yeah. try to come to you or something when you've created yeah. that boundary. But for the most part, I think your family would understand and be supportive. Yeah, I I would hope so. And maybe I need to insti- uh, institute that myself. Um, I had two nights this week, and I'm so tired today. Oh, no. I had two nights randomly. Um, so, like, it, adult life is so hard. You never get to see your friends, even, you know, aside from the COVID thing. Yeah. But you never get to see friends anymore. I feel like adulthood is just this never-ending, like, can you get together on Tuesday? No, Tuesday doesn't work. How about Thursday? No, I can't do Thursday. How about on the weekend? No, weekend doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) John Mulaney has a great bit about that. But I feel like there's so much of that. And then similarly, like, I don't know if it's owning a business or having a kid or what it is, but, like, I feel like I never see my husband either. Yeah. And two nights in the last week, he, uh, like, I've been reading a book or playing on my phone or something, uh, getting ready for bed, kind of, and he'll come in the bedroom and start gnawing my ear off about something. Last night, I kid you not, one of the topics was Ariana Grande. Oh, my gosh. What's she up (laughs) to now? Oh, he was just poking fun at some really explicit lyrics. We, We go back and forth about, like, how completely terrible pop music is and how yeah. it's just there's nothing to the imagination anymore it's the the lyrics are literally we will have sex now all night yeah uh, for every song there's <laughs> there's no poetry there's no anything but anyway so he comes and we're chatting and like <sighs> we talked forever and it was lovely but then i was like go brush your teeth right now we went to bed at like quarter after 12 i was like <laughs> You came yeah. in here at like 11 and we chatted for an hour and it was lovely and I love you, but also please go brush your teeth Yeah, because we need to get sleep and it just kind of kills me. I'm like, we need, we need to like pencil in time to talk, yeah. I think. but I think I need to instigate a rule of like, don't, don't come jabber John at me at 11 o'clock at night. 11 o'clock is my cutoff. 
right. I'm getting in my jammies and my heated blanket. I'm going to bed. Right. So, it's I always it's your advice. It's tough too if you feel like you've been missing your husband for a while. There's a yeah. There's a I think a balance there. But yeah, you're totally you're totally right. I I do think some boundaries like that are helpful because it just helps, like. The family understand, like, stay informed of, like, oh, this mm-hmm. is kind of, it, it's easier for them to support you if they know what's going on. Yeah, they're not mind readers. Right. More than likely. And it just can get easy to get into, like, habitual patterns of, of like, shoot, I'll sleep, like, when I'm done with stuff, t- yeah. done taking care of everybody else. Um, but, like yeah. what you said, you have to put the oxygen mask on first. Um, yeah. make sure that you're getting adequate rest and adequate adequate time for yourself too. Uh, it's definitely easier said than done. Um, but I think again, usually instilling some support and help from your family usually is really helpful. Yeah, and I think honestly, just the act of saying that, yeah, in and of itself is therapeutic because 100%. it's like you, you showing yourself that you are worth it and your energy or your sleep or whatever is valuable. Like just the act of you doing that thing in that moment, I think is therapeutic. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously there's therapeutic benefit in the fact that you get to go to sleep before 12, 15 at night, Mike. Right. So geez, Mike, uh, it's a twofer. Gosh, Mike. Uh, It's okay. He has other redeeming qualities. So even if he does nominate you off about Ariana Grande at midnight on a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> like you do. Right. Um, okay, so we've gotten off topic, admittedly. When we when we go from Leaky Gut to Ariana Grande, I feel like that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. So let's see. So we talked about what Leaky Gut is, things that it's associated with, uh, a bit about what causes Leaky Gut. Now let's get into what the heck do you do about it? The, yeah. the holy grail, right? Oh, yeah. Of like, how do you treat leaky gut? Yeah. So I'll I'll kick it to you first, and then I'll chime in with whatever I have. Yeah, no, that's such a great question. And I, I think that when it comes to interventions, I feel like there's so many supplements that are promoted as like leaky gut, le- leaky gut support, leaky gut repair. Um, which some of them could be incredibly helpful, so I'm I'm not discounting mm-hmm. that. But I think, like I said earlier, you want to have all these lifestyle factors in place, or else the supplements aren't really going to make a difference. Um, yeah. So I think in terms of interventions, things like um, getting enough sleep is really key. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Stress management in general, making sure you're taking time for yourself. Um, yeah, the vagus nerve, which I we haven't mentioned yet, so I'll, I'm happy to to do it for well, not this, this episode. For this episode, yes, we haven't mentioned it this episode. Um, so like vagal tone, uh, that sort of thing. I know we didn't talk about it. Well, we well you had mentioned it with your concussion potentially being a leaky gut mm-hmm. factor, but that can also be a, a root cause. Um, yeah. But I think, again, paying attention to your nervous system, your stress response in general yeah. is really key. Um, the dietary side of things, like we have been mentioning, too, and, and hinting at, getting yep. diversity in the diet as much as possible. Obviously, um, removing things that might 
might be inherently inflammatory for you like what you were saying maybe the heavy hitters like gluten and dairy experimentation but trying to keep it broad um and maybe removing only things that you're reacting to um and keeping it broad with with plants and with with plant fibers um yeah i think like try to diversify your plants the meat probably doesn't matter quite as much you know if you I mean, a, a bit, but if you are like, I need diversity, so I'm going to go from eating beef to eating beef and venison, and it's like, your microbiome's not going to care. Like, nutrient-wise, right. they're going to have different nutrients and different amino acids and different levels of, like, B12 or zinc or whatever, but it's probably not going to be a big, big deal to the microbiome, necessarily, yeah. if you diversify your meat intake, so that one's a little less important, but certainly... You know, try to get some diversity in the way of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, um, herbs and spices is a really nice way. Yeah. And teas is a really nice way, too, that if you can load up, you know, soups and and dishes with a lot of herbs, then that's a really nice way to get diversity in. Um, yeah. But continue. So I forget where I cut you off, but I totally cut you off. Yeah. So, no, you're fine. So diet diversity with plant fibers, essentially, uh, mainly being the focus. I think, again, things like probiotics can be helpful. Um, uh, Kind of, they help to establish a a good environment to help some of your good microbes uh, reemerge and help support uh, the microbes that build stronger gut barrier integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, prebiotic supplementation could also be helpful too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, in terms of other, like, oh, I did want to mention circadian rhythm stuff. So like trying to eat at consistent meal times. I know we've mentioned that. Yeah. We mentioned that in yep. the stomach acid episode, I believe. Um, yep. the stomach and the cubicle. Right. And you're the asshole boss. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and then I think in terms of the only other thing that I had mentioned earlier, too, was like histamine reactions. If you are having histamine mm. reactions, that might be something to really hone in hone in on. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think in terms of like other support, um, I like immunoglobulins a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes things like butyrate can be helpful. Um, yeah. Again, s- things like glutamine can be helpful, too. Sometimes you need high amounts. Mm. Um, I think having enough zinc can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, those would be like the, the biggies, um, in terms of things from a gut lining standpoint, in addition to like maybe probiotics and prebiotics that Mm -hmm. are going to help maneuver the microbiome. Those things also can be added to help sort of keep the, the gut lining more stable and Mm -hmm. more anti-inflammatory in general. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are all really good bullet points. I would say, um, I mean, you covered like the lifestyle stuff and the nutrition stuff pretty well. I think um, supplement wise, you know, there's there's a million different right. leaky gut healer uppers. And I mentioned right. one, Repairvite. As a side note, and I don't care if you're listening to me right now, Apex Energetics. Oh, Lord. Repairvite, in my opinion, tastes like cardboard and wet feet. Mm. So I don't recommend it it's seemingly effective but it tastes gross yeah. and i've talked to the company and they just don't care so i i don't use it 
because yeah. I think it's gross and there's a compliance issue. Nobody wants to take the damn stuff. Yeah. So there's that. Um, plain old glutamine is helpful, but like you said, you need a pretty high dose. Like I think I've seen studies go up to like 30 grams yeah. a day, which is a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. So usually if I'm using glutamine, I kind of settle around like 10 or 15 grams yeah. more often. And then I'll like, I'll combine something else with it instead of doing just that one. Um, for zinc, I really like zinc carnosine yeah. specifically. Mm-hmm. I use quite a lot of that and it's very well tolerated even by the most squirrely of autoimmune people, the most squirrely of histamine intolerant or mast cell people uh, who I work quite a lot with, like even my mast cell patients tolerate zinc carnosine really well, which is nice. Um, So I use a lot of that. Uh, There is a product, there's like a combo blend product that I've been using on and off for a couple of years. And I've had some really, really good success with it on and off. Uh, It's a bit expensive and it also tastes awful. So just so bad. It's not cardboard and wet feet. It's more like er, wet feet and herbs, mm. right? So like you're they really kind of got rid of the cardboardiness. This, you're really, yeah, you're selling this I'm, pretty hard. I'm selling it. Yeah, with maybe a hint of orange peel for this one. Okay. And um, it's called Digest Mend, and mm-hmm. it's pretty good. Um, I've had I've had some people use it. It tastes gross, and again, it's a little bit pricey, but it is a pretty nice formula. And I've had some like labs come back profoundly better and people really report good benefit. Um, and I've had some like C-reactive protein markers drop like a rock mm. from taking this. So it, it's been pretty helpful. I, I always kind of go back and forth trying to opt for lower cost items when I can, but I, I'm kind of going back to that product on and off um, as need be. So that's one that I like. And probiotics are huge. Yeah. For leaky gut. I think a lot of them have been studied and shown to reduce leaky gut in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. It's just a matter of finding one that your body agrees with and that you as an individual like. So if you don't hit it out of the park the first time you try a probiotic, go ahead and try another one and see if you yeah. find one that works for you. Um, it's really hard to predict which probiotic you're going to need, aside from like a couple of conditions that, that we can get really specific with. A lot of my other recommendations for probiotics is just, eh, try a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> see, see what happens. Yeah. Um, I try to make that process less, less costly and more like useful and structured yeah. in my practice. And I send people home with little baggies of two pills each. And I tell them to do what I call probiotic speed dating. Yeah. I so I try that. to make it really easy and useful and like not, not a big pain in the butt to do. Um, but you can still kind of implement that to some extent in your life, too. Um, I think those are it. I think for prebiotics, I think any prebiotic theoretically could help with leaky gut. I think my favorite is inulin if mm-hmm. you do FODMAPs okay. If you're FODMAP intolerant and then you try inulin, you're going to hate me. So don't do it. <laughs> because inulin is a big old FODMAP. Yeah. Um, but as long as you can tolerate FODMAPs reasonably well, inulin is borderline miraculous. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. It's dirt cheap. It tastes good. It's a sweet powder. I just I eat it out of the jar. Do you know what what it tastes like? And I think I think Goss kind of tastes so like it too. It tastes like cotton candy to me. I don't know why. Yes, <gasps> that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Oh my it's... god. Yes, it's like like powdered cotton candy almost. It's right. so good. And I describe it to my clients that way. And they're like, what? Like, you want me to eat something that tastes like cotton candy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. do it. 
Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm so glad that you finally pinpointed what it tastes like because I just tell people it's good and it's sweet, but you're dead right. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm going to tell my husband too. So my husband is a sugar addict. Yeah. And gnaws my ear off about Ariana Grande. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's never going to live this down. Because like he's never mentioned her ever before because he's super not into pop music. So it's just really funny that that's the thing we talked about last night. Um, but my sugar addict husband loves inulin he thinks it's the greatest thing i've ever given oh him that gosh. and licorice root um but that's probably why i put inulin in a lot of stuff i put it in oatmeal i'll yeah. sprinkle it in you know smoothies or yogurt i'll eat it by the spoon no joke <laughs> so it's it's pretty scrumptious oh, um, but that... you know pick pick your favorite prebiotic and it'll probably have some effect on your good microbes and therefore your gut lighting so you have my blessing for most of them yeah i think what's interesting too is um with with prebiotics, uh, I think that, again, usually if someone's pretty sensitive, they're a little freaked out to try a prebiotic. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely see that, you know, the eyes go a little bit big, like in my in the screen when I'm talking to someone. I'm like, oh, maybe it's time to try a prebiotic. And it's like deer in headlights uh, across the screen. And I, I get that. I think, again, they've been so demonized by the SIBO space, but probiotics, right, right, exactly. And I think that, you know, from a prebiotic side of things, things like PHGG tend to be a little bit Mm -hmm. better tolerated if you're a sensitive to FODMAPs, even then, like, again, I'd still go slow. Um, but that could be another alternative option. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also love just you describing eating your supplements, and how you do it because I feel like it it sounds a little bit like me like sometimes when I'm trying to describe how to take it to my clients I'm like I just like open it and throw it in my mouth like it's it's so like at this point willy-nilly how I t- right I'm like I just like mix a little bit with like an ounce of water and just shoot it back like a shot like I'm so like no nonsense yeah. with supplements at this point um yeah. Of Which is a very freeing place to be, by the way. Like after being in a place where I think I was like counting out the milligrams of everything, right? At various right. points, like it's very freeing to just like get a big old spoonful of inulin and shove it in my mouth, right? It's, it's I, nice. It, it's it's just funny to me because I think we're like definitely still kindred kindred spirits uh, in how we take even how we take I supplements. Agree. It's just like we, we go hard. We go hard with the prebiotics, like with some of the prebiotics too. um, One of them that I use sometimes is a goss in a, like a sachet. I just Uh take the sachet and throw it, (laughs) throw it back, take a swig of water. I assume. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, take a, take it. And it doesn't taste, it tastes good. You know, I have a complaint to tell the world. Okay, yes. I'm I'm not going to mention names because I actually don't begrudge them too much. So I so I as a human tend to have very low slash sad levels of bifido. Unless I'm intentionally trying to do something about that. So I've played with different prebiotics on and off and kind of observed stool testing and it killed me. So I found this Jaro prebiotic XOS and goss yeah and they're little like chewable wafer things and they're quite pleasant tasting and not at all a pain in the neck to taste uh, to take and i was like oh great so i took this for like i don't even know 
a month and a half. And I did a stool test and I mailed it in. And then finally I reached out to the company after a while. And it was like, what's taking so long? It got lost in the mail. Oh, no. It's like, no. <laughs> and I should have known because I was, I think I mailed it like the, it was right around Thanksgiving, I think. So I think it was like the beginning of the holiday, yeah. crazy shipping time. But I was like, darn it. <laughs> and of course, like I stopped taking it for just a little while because I was like, oh, like now I'll move on to the next round of experimentation in my quest to feed my bifidobacterium. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, now I have to go back to a baseline, reintroduce this, take it for another six weeks. Just because yeah. like, I want to be thorough, like redo the poop test. But I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Who has my poop? I know. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag, who has my poop? Yeah, if someone could locate Nikki's poop, yeah, that'd be you, greatly appreciated. Yeah, I mean, it surely is still good. And you know who we lab. should contact? That, um, who's the guy from America's Most Wanted? Like John Walsh or something? We should contact. <laughs> we should contact. I think he has a show called The Hunt. We should get him so to, like, hunt, to hunt for you. Boy, your... do we have a problem for you. Right. Right. No, okay. I have my own fantasy. This is going to side note. We should call this episode Leaky Gut and Miscellaneous Musings. Because yes. I do feel like we're we're going off on tangents, but they're so good. Um, and it's our podcast, so we can do what we want. Yeah. So I have my own fantasy. So I have followed the Try Guys on YouTube. Are you familiar with them or do you know of them? I don't know if I know of them. So they're guys and they try things. Okay. They used to work for BuzzFeed and now they have their own channel. They they started off, they had a video, uh, guys try women's underwear and they wore women's underwear. Okay. Like or something. I might have seen that video. I just didn't know it was try they're, guys. They're amusing and they seem like good guys. So I followed them for a while and I'm generally amused by their stuff. And I actually, I made a video on my YouTube channel, just really short, like two minute thing. And said, um, I think the Try Guys should try stool testing and have somebody like moi help them decipher their poop tests and learn about their bodies. Oh, my gosh. So you should Have they responded? That, they have not. <laughs> they, have like six, they have like six million subscribers. I don't know. Like, but have- I thought I was pretty, pretty clever and one of them has an autoimmune condition so i'm like i want to help you zach yeah, so yeah, yeah. maybe, well, maybe someday they're this. gonna see that video on my youtube channel but i um i and i did try to tag them in twitter the one and only time i've been on twitter in the last <laughs> five years i tried to like tag them on twitter right. and tell them uh can you imagine logging in your twitter account and having some rando being like i think you should get your poop tested <laughs> <laughs> i think i'd love that but you know you know me but it's us well, I, it's so funny you mentioned that because I listened to a podcast called This Might Get Weird. It has two former YouTubers on it. I like that name. Yeah, it, it has a YouTuber named Grace Helbig and Mamrie Hart. They're two, they're like really good friends and they just literally get on this podcast and it's just them like riffraffing about random things. And there's sometimes like topics that they go back to all the time, but the one girl in there has SIBO and she keeps talking about it on air. And like, I never hear like, you know, mainstream people, I need to help you. So they, they like have this thing where they'll look at, um, Q and a, like they have a, they'll do Mm. a Q and a, like they'll read a comment or something that's 
turned in. I turned something in and was like, hi, I saw the UFC boat. You know, like you try to play it cool, but you don't think you do. Yeah. I feel like by the end of the message, it was like, reach out to me. You know, like probably too aggressive, (laughs) too aggressive on the. Please, you don't have to suffer with this any longer. Right. But she keeps talking about it. And every time I'm like, oh, like this would be so cool if if she reached out or something like that. But I don't know. She probably won't. She probably has her own. Well, we have our our individual celebrity dreams. Poop testing and SIBO testing famous people. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe Oprah. Oh, my like god. Maybe maybe there's other people. I mean, uh, Oprah's hypothyroid. Right? Maybe we should just so, reach out to every celebrity account we know and see what sticks. Everybody. Everybody. Um, I'm in favor. And I, I think that we could go around, like, we could probably find their home addresses. And then we could go dressed up as the poop witch and the poop emoji. And yeah. then that would really, like, drive our case home, you know? Yeah. Like we're you know, we mean I, I used to live in LA. Like we could find people. We'll just drive around LA. No big. My uh my sister in law, she grew up in Malibu and she worked at the Malibu Starbucks. She said that's where they all go. So we'll maybe we could there. find that back alley that we always go yeah. to and yeah. do our thing. Yep, and you can load me up with chai tea lattes and I'll be right. happy as a clam. Right, 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 right. Okay. Okay, so we have a we have two new business ventures today from a single podcast. I think we're doing pretty darn good. Um, okay, let's think though. The people want leaky gut, so let's give them leaky gut. Um, no, we're not going to give you leaky gut. My God. Um, rather, we shall provide content. So, okay, so what is leaky gut? What is it associated with? To recap that, because I feel like that might have been less clear. Leaky gut is really, really, really associated with metabolic syndrome, yeah. diabetes joint pain like that sort of stuff it's like a medium amount of associated with gut issues so ibs SIBO, crohn's colitis celiac disease etc and it's a medium amount of associated with autoimmunity like pretty much everybody agrees that you need to get leaky gut in order to get autoimmunity it's just a matter of like if you've had an autoimmune condition for 10 years do you still have leaky gut 10 years later or was it more of a transient thing where, like, for me, like, I hit my head and I drank creek water. And then, you know, five years later, I discovered I had an autoimmune condition. Right. But I don't I don't actually know if I had leaky gut at that time or how bad it was because I was a cheap student and I never actually tested for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether or not that was still a present thing I was dealing with is up for grabs at this point. But... Autoimmunity is definitely associated with leaky gut. It's just, it's not quite as like knock out of the park, heck to the yeah, as like diabetes and hypertension yeah. and obesity and that kind of stuff. Um, and then also I have seen my histamine intolerant and mast cell patients tend to have a pretty, pretty leaky gut. Again, I just got a test result back this week or last week on a mast cell patient and it was off the freaking charts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that those are the big ones, at least, that stand out to me um, as far as things that are associated with leaky gut. Um, and then, you know, there's other the causes of the root cause, so to speak. Things like antibiotics, steroids, NSAIDs, wackadoo hormones, wackadoo gut bacteria, probably environmental toxicities, definitely stress, definitely shitty sleep. So yeah. a lot of the kind of holistic stuff we would talk about anyway comes into play. 
Um, and then what to do about it. I mean, treat the root cause of the root cause, first and foremost, and that if you want to get into, you know, Repairvite or whatever, or zinc carnosine or probiotics, then that's just gravy at that point. Yeah. But don't fool yourself into thinking that you can still eat McDonald's or eat an ultra-restricted diet. You know, like, we probably both have had patients like this. Yeah. I've had patients who literally eat eight foods. Yeah. End of list. Yeah. They're like, I eat chicken, rice, Carrots. squash, strawberries. You know, it's like, it's five things. They're like, okay. And yeah. you're never going to heal leaky gut if you're that restricted with your eating. So that's where, you know... And I'm not going to be the jerk who says, just eat more food. You're fine. But like, maybe that's where you need professional help to help you unravel the spider web a bit and understand where you can start gaining traction. Um, But certainly treating the root causes of the root causes and then diversifying your diet, probiotics, prebiotics, et cetera. um, I I did want to add one other comment. Um, Uh And this kind of goes along with the stress response and trying to tame that, but in regards mm-hmm. to diet as well, I know I've talked about under eating in the past mm-hmm. too, but like making sure overall nutrition's adequate, I think super key for permeability as well. Um, yeah. First off, you need nutrients to maintain a gut barrier um, is the obvious reason. But again, if you're not getting enough calories, again, the hormonal disruptions, the yeah. nervous system disruptions that happen from that are going to be really problematic with you trying to heal your gut. So just yeah. under eating as a whole, if if that's something that's been going on for a while, um, or if you're not really sure if you're getting enough enough food in altogether, mm-hmm. that might be another angle to approach. Yeah. Yeah, that's a valid point. And I think, like you said, under eating can make your hormones go bonkers. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, we're talking about estrogen, thyroid, Heaven forbid if it's bad enough that you lose your period if you're a woman. Obviously, if you're a dude, that's okay. Um, But, you know, it'll make your hormones go crazy. And also, you need actual building blocks to make the cells. If you're trying to grow new cells and heal the gut lining, you need, like, protein and fat and energy and vitamins and minerals and all of the ingredients that make cells and if you're deficient in one or more of those things, your ability to make new cells and therefore healing your gut is going to be pretty stinky. So just making sure that you have the building blocks there to make your hormones and also make your cells and keep things operating smoothly so your body doesn't panic and think it's in starvation mode. Uh, that could also be a really big part of it. Yeah. Stay out of starvation mode is is definitely, yeah. definitely key. Um, yeah. The only other thing I think we haven't really touched on much um that we might want to add a little bit to is testing um oh yeah yeah like when is testing relevant and and what Mm -hmm. sort of testing do you look at um when it comes Mm -hmm. to leaky gut yeah so i will confess my bias at least in this time frame right now 2021 is i do tend to be mindful of people's budgets and not spend all their money on all the things. I think I might have poked fun at this before. I call it the Mark Hyman model of functional medicine. (laughs) Nothing against him as an individual, but like, you know, there are the functional people who are like, every person gets a hormone test. Every person gets an adrenal test. Every person gets a poop test. Every person gets a SIBO test. And it's like, can we not? So 
I don't necessarily test for leaky gut on everybody, although I've thought about it before. Maybe I should because it's not terribly expensive. Um, there's a couple of main ways that you could test for leaky gut. The one that I tend to still use the most of, it's a little bit more of a pain in the butt to do it, and it takes time, but it is the most well-researched and well-supported, and it's been used for a long time, is the lactulose mannitol ratio yeah. test. So you drink a sugar solution, and then you collect your pee in a jug for six hours. And side note, so I did this uh, last year because I was like, not because I thought I had leaky gut, but actually I wanted to go through it because I noticed that the instructions that Genova gives you with the kit are so bad. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Like all of my patients were confused. And finally I was like, whatever, I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to type up my own notes and instructions and make sense of it. So I was doing this and then I completely forgot uh, at the time, pre-pandemic, a colleague who's across the street and I were helping each other film for our websites and he would come over to my office and then I would go over to his office and we would go every other week. I forgot that I did this test on the day that I was scheduled to go over to his office for a while. So I literally had to ask my friend, it was like, hey, by the way, do you have a bathroom at your office? He was like, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool, I have to bring my pee jug. He's like, what? <laughs> and yeah. you know, it's best to just disclose that, right? Yeah. Like, cause if you try to hide your pee jug, and then he goes in your backpack and finds the pee jug. Like, then that's way weirder, in my opinion. Yeah, for so sure. So I would just rather rip off the Band-Aid, tell my friend about the pee jug. And, you know, I basically told him, like, don't go in that backpack. It's got my pee. And we just <laughs> laughed about it. And then I mailed it off. But um, <laughs> but basically, you, you drink a sugar solution, and then you collect your pee for six hours, and then you take, like, a little syringe of that pee, put it in a smaller tube, and then you mail that tube. And then they're looking to see how much of these two sugars got absorbed to your gut, put into your blood, and then filtered in the kidneys, and then made into urine. So that it's pretty non-invasive. My only hesitancy is that if somebody, you know, with like a raging case of SIBO, for example, might not do too, too well with the ingestion of the lactulose and the mannitol. Yeah. Because mannitol is a FODMAP. Um, if somebody's got a raging case of SIBO or is definitely FODMAP intolerant, then I might not do that one. But otherwise, I tend to like that one because it's cheap. It's like, you know, 50 or 100 bucks, maybe, depending on insurance. And it's easy enough to do. It's pretty non-invasive. And that is what the bulk of the research seems to use, or it has historically for the last, like, 20 years. Um, now they have blood tests. And there's different companies that have this. They'll either look at antibodies against tight barrier uh, junction proteins. So, like, Cyrex has a test for this. And that could be useful um, some tests like Cyrex and Dunwoody Labs have tests where they look at LPS antibodies. LPS is that bacterial toxin, and you can see if it's getting through the barrier. And then some tests will look at zonulin, which should go up in a situation of leaky gut. So, like, you can measure zonulin in blood, like Dunwoody does, or they have a new name, uh, Precision Analytical, I think is their name. Anyway, um, and you can measure zonulin in blood, but it's kind of unstable. Yeah. So that's like I tell people if you have high zonulin in the blood test, take it to the bank. You have leaky gut. Yeah. If it comes back negative, it doesn't really get you off the hook. And then we're going to look at some of these other markers instead. So it's just you have to take that with a grain of salt. And then some testing companies like the GI map test and I think Genova look at zonulin in stool 
but I don't think that's quite as well supported as of yet. And maybe I'm just ignorant. Maybe I haven't read the studies as of yet. But my understanding is that zonulin in blood is very, uh, very finicky and unstable and wildly unpredictable. And that zonulin in stool is not super great either. At least that's that's been my take. And again, when I ran the GI map a lot, I would tell people similarly, hey, if zonulin comes back high, you know you have leaky gut, you could take it to the bank. If it comes back low, it just doesn't get you off the hook. Yeah. You might still have leaky gut. That's how I would approach it. Yeah. Um, what about you? What experience do you have with the testing? Do you run it at all? Or yeah, do you just I, kind of assume? Because I, I, I do a lot of that too. I just tell right. people, you have a raging right. case of SIBO. There's no way in hell that you don't have leaky gut. Let's just assume and move right. on with our lives. Yeah, no, I, I've definitely seen some of, some of the lactulose mannitol tests. I've had some clients that have had it run. Um, and when mm-hmm. they come to see me, you know, I can review th- their tests, but yeah. I typically don't run that. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I feel like you can kind of get a sense of permeability too um, from just the composition of their microbes as well. I think things like mm-hmm. like zonulin and uh, the lactulose and mannitol test are very are better direct markers. Again, they mm-hmm. might not be perfect, but especially yeah. zonulin again i think that you're right there's kind of still mixed feelings yeah. about it but i think yeah. the lactulose mannitol test is relatively well well received and well researched so mm-hmm. I, I think again like that could be a good a much better direct measure i sort of like based on their symptoms sort of assume and look at the profile of the gut uh what's kind of going on uh, gut wise the composition of the gut do they have bifidobacteria do they have acromantia do they have mm-hmm. some of these really key species do they have imbalances um and kind yeah. of looking at the whole picture is what i try to do from a, a leaky yeah. gut standpoint um but yeah i'm i'm interested in learning a little bit more about do you, so you typically like that test the lactulose mannitol yeah it's that's usually what i'll order and part yeah. of it too is that that's cheaper yeah for it's sure like through through genova with no insurance billing, their cash pay for that test is like $99, Yeah, I think. And then if you do get partial coverage through insurance, like if you have a good PPO or something, your copay might be 50 bucks. Yeah. Like if that's the price, all day, every day, I'm going to test you. For yeah, you for sure, me? for sure. Um, versus, you know, the Cyrex blood test, I think is about 200 clams. And the Dunwoody test, I think is more like 270 yeah. or 280. But... In their defense, the Dunwoody test measures zonulin, uh, the LPS antibodies, IgG, IgA, and IgM, and they measure histamine and DAO in the blood. So mm. I actually use the Dunwoody test much more frequently for suspected histamine intolerant folk yeah, as opposed to using it as just a standalone leaky gut thing. Yeah. So that's more why I use that one. Um, but yeah, it could be helpful. And actually, to your point, you know, um, a guy that I saw for an appointment yesterday, we were going over his labs. It was his second appointment with me. So we were going over all of the, the stuff and I had sent him copies of most everything, but we were just kind of going over it in more detail and going over the game plan. And one of the things that came back is, and I, I don't remember if I told you about this much, but a lot of times I'll do at least a little bit of stool testing through LabCorp if yeah. they have good insurance. Yeah. And I'll do like the PCR pathogen type test and maybe like a parasite test just to see if LabCorp has anything useful. And then after that, I might reflex to a more advanced test. 
But I'll usually, like, I'll have people do something like LabCorp and then another test like Thrive or Somogen that looks at the good bacteria. And then I kind of get both pictures. Yeah. But for him, even right out the get-go, quick turnaround time, LabCorp came back. He had uracinia. What? In a stool test. Yeah. Like, oh, man, (laughs) that's trouble. It's no wonder you feel like crap. Yeah. So for him... You know, you're not going to have an overt pathogen detected by LabCorp if you don't have leaky gut. Like, I mean, I guarantee that it's so inflammatory. So for him, when it came back, you know, with the rest of his stool testing, he actually had good bifido levels, but his acromancy was in the toilet, pun intended. Yeah. His fecalobacteria was kind of okay. Lactobacilli were low. Bifido were splendid. Um, I think he, he was taking probiotic, though, so we talked about that. Um, but he also had an overgrowth of proteobacteria, which is like the clan that Yersinia belongs to, right? They're horribly inflammatory. So, you know, honestly, maybe we didn't need the leaky gut test in retrospect for him, but we were looking at the histamine thing, but it did come back at the same time. His zonulin was elevated on a blood test. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, there we have it. <laughs> it's kind of no wonder. But again, we were running that test for the histamine thing, and then that gave us more information. For the leaky gut, we both kind of established, we're like, well, I would be surprised if you didn't have leaky gut based on your symptoms and based on your stool testing. Um, So you could definitely read between the lines, and you don't need to test everybody for leaky gut. Yeah. Um, If somebody has a limited budget, and they want to get better, and they've only got like a couple hundred bucks to spend on testing, I would spend the testing money on stool testing as opposed to a leaky gut test yeah but if somebody has the budget i will happily do both just to get that clarity yeah awesome no it's good good to hear about that in a little bit more depth yeah yeah good thing you brought it up i would have skipped off into the rainbows not talking about testing (laughs) you're already planning your halloween costume so poop witch hashtag poop witch yep (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have great hashtags Oh, okay. Well, guys, if you have other questions about leaky gut, let us know in the comments or email or Instagram. But I feel like we covered it pretty, pretty thoroughly. So, you know, air five to us. Woot. Um, guys, as always, if you are listening to this on a podcasting app, then please rate us five stars, share with all your friends, share with your neighbors, you know, do whatever you do on podcasting apps. And if you are on YouTube, then how do you do? If you would please subscribe to the channel, ring the bell and comment down below. Let us know if you have any questions. And one of these days, I'm going to get around to checking those YouTube comments and go through them. And if you want, you could also email us at ibsfreedompodcastno. Hold on. You tell them the Instagram handle. Let me go look at the, the email. Darn the it. Instagram handle is ibs.freedom.podcast. So you can follow us there. Definitely. Let there us know if go. you have any questions and we'll answer. Totally. Okay. I got it. I had a panic, panicked moment, but I'm back in the game. Ready? Our Gmail email address is ibsfreedompod at gmail.com. I don't know why I forgot that. I always say that, but ibsfreedompod at gmail.com is our email and ibs.freedom.podcast is our Instagram handle. Uh, So yeah, until next time, Amy, I bid you adieu. Twas a pleasure, my dear. Mm -hmm. Until next time, guys.